1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 21. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been, a, have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Are you one of those people that 
unfortunately keep getting requested for surveys. Like, I'll, you know, you get a, a postal delivery and then a day later, we would like you to complete the survey. Would you, how would you rank this delivery? You know, would you recommend this service to your friends? And now I've become a little smarter. I always give them a zero. And when they ask why, I say, because I don't want my friends to keep being asked to do a survey. But I found a survey very interesting recently. It was comparing a 1950 survey with a 2021 survey. And it was a survey of the trustworthy professions. Right? And I was looking to see, based on the reading, where do pastors fit? Well, back in 1950, they were in the top three with doctors. Can't remember what the second one, I think it was teachers, and then clergy. Nine, um, 2021, I'm looking, one, two, three, four, five, 15, 16, 17, they dropped off the list. Number 42. What's happened? The position of the clergy status has bottomed out. And I was thinking... This is somewhat a reflection of what was going on in this Corinthian church. They had done the same thing. They had put Paul at the bottom of the rung. In fact, he calls himself the scum, the residue, the trash of society. So I want to address some things today from this chapter about how this Corinthian church viewed themselves and those who served them as pastors and ministers. So let's pray. Father, I just ask this morning that you keep us focused, that we be able to assess our own contribution to the building up and the fellowship of this congregation or whether we are actually being passive and whether we are really immature, as Paul points out. Help us to gain a true perspective of who we are in the light of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Following, well, we start off this morning in chapter 4 following what Les has been doing in the previous chapters. And last week, you can, if you remember, Les and Matt did this amazing presentation on what it was to be building in the construction um, idiom, building a church, what made it an important part of 
being a Christian is to be part of the unity, to be able to be part of what God is being built. Well, now he switches metaphors from construction to the servant-master metaphor. And he leads the way by showing that the master-servant model relates to how the Corinthian congregation were disparaging his credentials. He insists that he is God's servant, not theirs. He says that I am coming not as your servant, but I serve the master. I serve God. And it's a reminder that we have that same situation. We've called Les to be our pastor, but he's actually serving the Lord, not us. We are to be fed by him. He is our shepherd, but he is, well, he is under the, the good shepherd. These Corinthians struggled with an attitude that I think we all struggle with at times and that is they struggled with pride and their sense of entitlement that came with this pride leads them to believe that they have the right to judge Paul. They'd already divided up the the church, well you know we follow so and so and we follow so and so and we follow so and so and in so doing they were putting in a rank or they were disparaging the lower and raising their higher priorities based on opinion and preference. And Paul is saying, this is an immature attitude. You have no right, nor do you have all the information to judge according to personal preference or opinion. Now, we know there are some legitimate reasons that you can make judgment on a church leadership. Legal reasons, maybe they've been pilfering the offering or something like that. Moral failure, how many pastors have gone down the tubes because of their sexual immorality? Or preaching heresy, But how does one know if one is hearing heresy unless one is actually in the Word? And of course, if they don't follow the right football team, there's also that factor. You can can dispose of a pastor. But you've got to have the right reason. Scripture doesn't tell us that a pastor is appointed for a short, brief time and then you can get rid of them. Sure, Often God moves them on according to his his plan. But we don't have the right as a congregation to make a judgment against church leadership because of opinion or for preference. And Paul declares that his master, the God himself, is the only one that has all the information and the authority to make those judgments. And he makes a reference here, he says, look, 
There's going to come a time, wait till the Lord comes and everything is going to be exposed. Now that doesn't mean that everybody's sins are going to be exposed because we know that they've been taken care of. But at the judgment seat of Christ, the motives of our service are all going to be taken and put up on the big screen, so to speak. So he says, wait for the Lord to do the judging. Don't put yourself into a bad situation. The Lord will bring about his judgment. And he criticizes the Corinthians for their pride and reminds them that everything they have has been given to them by the Lord. They are boasting about what they've been able to achieve. And he said, no, hang on a minute. Everything you have, everything you received, you were given. Why do you boast? as if it was not so. They'd forgotten. Their pride had put them into a situation where they were considering themselves privileged and enlightened. They'd become so much like the Corinthian world around them that they were stuck in their immaturity. So he chastised them and he reminds them to stay within the bounds of Scripture. Don't allow pagan thoughts to permeate your thinking. Don't allow yourself to be taken and moved from the fellowship of Christ into the fellowship of the world. This was a very uh, dangerous slope that the Corinthians were on. And Paul reminds them that you are no different than anyone else He says that, who makes you different? What makes you or who gives you this privilege to be so condemning of your leadership? You're no different than anyone else. Just like the others, every person in Christ's family has been given by grace all they have. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's given by grace. So instead of having pride, Corinthians, be grateful. Be grateful you've been given leaders in your church. Be grateful for Apollos. Be grateful for me, for Peter, whoever is there. Be grateful. Don't be condemning. God's grace has been your gift. And I want you to note there's a a reference there. He says, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. That word servant is different to what he uses in in the third chapter, which is kind of like a diakonai, the servants who serve one another. This is a really interesting picture. Corinth was on the seaboard. It was a a seafaring town. And this was during the Roman times. And the Romans had these big galleys that were powered by rowers. Tiers of rowers. You've seen the pictures. You may have seen the movies. Well, servant here is the word for the under-rower. 
the rower on the bottom rung of that galley who just had to row and keep their eye on the captain who would tell them to row heavy on one side or light on the other. The under rower. He's saying, we are the under rowers. We have come to serve the captain. We do what he says or our ship would go awry. But it's the idea of we don't have any rights. We don't have any superiority. We have nothing to be prideful of. We're under rowers. We are the servants of the Lord. It stresses the humble position that Paul and the apostles had. He goes on, he says, look, I'm not concerned about what you think about me. I'm not concerned even about my own view of self. My passion is to serve the Lord and I will be accountable to him. What God's estimation of his service meant was far more important what anybody else said. So in a sentence, Paul was really saying that it is a immature and false way of dealing with your leadership to be critical based on opinion, based on prejudice. Because you don't have the authority and we don't know all the facts. So we are to be given the opportunity to be served by leadership, leave the criticism and let God take care of the judgment. Let me tell you a story. I heard this story a long time ago. It involves an old Scottish pastor. We're going to assume he's Presbyterian, right? This is early in the 19th century. I can't remember that, but um, Ron probably does. Um, but this pastor was up before the deacons and they asked him, how come there's no growth in our church? We've got no new members. It seemed the work of the church is not going backwards, but it's stalled. And the deacon said to the pastor, no one has come to Christ in this last year. And his reply was, aye, it's been a lean year. But what about Bobby? The deacons had forgotten about a young lad who had come to Christ that year, wee Bobby, we, Bobby, was from a poor Christian family. Sometimes af sometime after his conversion, there was a mission in the church and they were taking up the offering. And Bobby told the usher, I've got nothing, my pockets are empty, put the plate on the floor. The usher put the, the plate on the floor and we, Bobby, stood on the plate 
And he says, I've nothing to give God but myself. Well, sometime later, Bobby volunteered for foreign missionary service. And after a period of, of training, he persuaded another student to come with him. His name was David Livingston. And they, together they left England in October 1816. They went their separate ways once they got to, to Africa. But we know about David Livingston. He got there because Bobby Moffat persuaded him to. And Bobby Moffat, over the rest of his lifetime, translated the scriptures into a number of African languages and founded a number of indigenous churches. There's been no body saved in this church. Oh, what about we, Bobby? One person was saved. And out of that, thousands came to the Lord. We never have the full story, folks. We never know how ministry touches different people. So do not be immature and make judgments. So these verses help us see our ministers, our leaders in the church, as ministers and servants of God. They're not our servants. So they also help us to remember that they don't need our approval. It comes from the Father. So the Corinthian church wasn't the only church through history that uh, had trouble with their ministers. Um, I've been in churches where, they, well, the reason I became a pastor was our diaconate asked one of the ministers to move on. He was being heretical. So they took me instead. I'm not sure that was much of an improvement, but um, that's how it all began. But then he moves on and he starts to contrast the Corinthians' sense of superiority with the apostles' humility. And he gets very sarcastic. This is, this is where he starts taking the gloves off, folks. It's very ironical. You read it and you go, oh, he's really praising them. No, he's given them the stick. But it's all done in sarcasm. He goes for the jugular. And his apostleship, he portrays here in clear relief, in stark contrast with their perceived authority. You already have what you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings. And all that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, that we might be kings with you. We'd be able to enjoy all of these privileges as well. He says, it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. And he's drawing on here a picture of when the Romans came back from a conquest. 
the general would be up front and all the troops would be lined up and they'd be marching into town and behind them on a string of chains would be the captives. And Paul says, we are on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. In today's world, he's saying, being a minister, being an apostle of God's word is like being dragged along so everybody could see how weak and humble and destroyed and conquered you are. He said, that's the, that's the survey. That's, you're at the bottom of the list again. In the preceding passages, he reminds them that they're not instinctively superior. God has given them everything they've had, they have. Consequently, they should be grateful. But in verse 9, he kind of sets up the whole of this next scene where he contrasts. And he's, verse 9 says, well, it seems to me God's put us on display. Like a conquering general, the Corinthians had blatantly displayed, well, they, had, they sensed the privilege they have in being Christians. They didn't see it as being a position of humble service, but of privilege amongst their community. And Paul says, there's not much difference between who you see yourself as and the, the, Corinthian around, the Corinthians around you. Natural men thought the apostles were fools. Similarly, the Corinthian church regarded themselves as superior and dismissed the apostles as being lower of status. To the, just let me read this to you. It's just amazing what he says. We are fools, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are so strong. We go hungry. No, we are honoured. You are honoured. We are dishonoured. For this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. Well, that was a red flag to the, to the Greeks. Only slaves worked with their hands. Remember, it was all cognitive. It was all in the mind for the, for the Greeks. You philosophized. You argued. To work with your hand was beneath them. And he's saying here, we worked hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We're the scum of the earth. We're the Vegemite of society. Well, you know how they make Vegemite, don't you? Vegemite is just all of the what's left. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the scrapings off the inside of the beer barrels when they're making beer. It's just the scrapings. You know about Santa Claus? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. 
But you get the picture. He's saying we're just the residue of society. You're superior. You've put yourselves on a pedestal. We have put ourselves on the bottom rung. We're at the end of the procession. You are so immature to think like this. The church was on dangerously good terms with the world. They had a very, very inflated view of who they are. Then Paul challenges their arrogance. He could have done this two ways, and he says that. He says, I could be gentle with you folk, or I could come along with a big stick. It's up to you. And as I read this passage... He appeals to them again in a different way. Now he's, he's taking the metaphor of family. He says, I'm your spiritual father. You've got many tutors, and if you can recall in those days, children were given to tutors. They taught them mathematics. They taught them literature. and They taught them what life was about while the fathers went off to war and the mothers went down and had their hair done. So, but this was the job for the tutor. He said, you've got hundreds of tutors, you've only got one spiritual father. And looking through this passage, I'm struck by the fact that there are three, three key principles when dealing with with others that you have a conflict with. And I think it's worth looking at because you can see here he could have really taken the stick to them. The key is in these words that I'm writing this not to shame you but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians or tutors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father through the gospel. The first principle that I think is applicable into all of our lives is he talks them in such a way that he gives them some endearing comment or some close connection. He says, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to actually bring some sense of confidence, some sense of our relationship into this. He says, you are my dear children. You're my dear children. Never wipe anybody out. Never grind them into the ground. See, at this point, he could have. He had built up enough evidence on their immaturity to really give it to them. But Paul says, you are my dear children. He finds a, a term of 
great endearment to let them know that in spite of everything, he is very much their spiritual father. And like a father, he wants to look after them. That's the first principle. If you're going to give somebody the stick, don't crush them. Treat them with respect. Give them a sense of endearment. And the second principle is give them a model. He says there, I became your father and I want you to imitate me. I became your father through the gospel, therefore I urge you to imitate me. I want you to be looking at me, I'm the model. I want you to see the humility. I want, you know, you're thinking, how could that be humble by saying, look at me? But he goes on in chapter 11, he says, I imi imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, what he's saying here is, don't just listen to my words, watch my life. Give a model. See, in this instance, he recognizes the universal psychological principle that people catch more than they are taught. What they see you do speaks louder than your words. You can speak all you like, but if your words are in contradiction to your behavior, the words don't count. So he's saying, look at my life when I was with you. And Timothy, he sent Timothy. Timothy probably delivered this letter to them. He's saying, now I'm sending you, Timothy, my own spiritual son to be with you. He's my representative. He's going to look after you. Treat him well because he's coming. He's going to love you as well. The third principle from this passage is that always preserve a person's freedom to choose. See, he didn't denounce them. He complimented them. He gave them the dear children. He didn't then just say, well, change, he showed them, he said, follow my example. But then he said, I'm going to give you a choice. He doesn't box them in, but they don't have any choice in the matter. He says, I admonish you, and I do not command you, I admonish you, I urge you, but the choice is yours. You can choose. You're either going to, when I come to you, I'm going to come and embrace and be gentle or you're going to get the stick. Your choice. So when you're dealing with people, don't put them in a situation where they have no opportunity to make a choice to change. I think these are important principles. We can all benefit from that when we're dealing with those people with whom we have 
an argument or something that is disturbing us about their behavior. Basically, love them, model for them what you want them to be, and then allow them to make their own choice. You can't make a choice for them. The old saying, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So what do we learn from this passage? That we need to take our pride and put it in the shelf and replace it with a grateful attitude. Life is given to us and it's by grace. Our leaders are given to us by grace. We are to see them as God's gift to us. We're to remove our sense of superiority. We're no different than anybody else. We're all sinners. We all need God's grace. We've all been saved from an eternity, not anything of our own, but Christ's death and resurrection for us. We're to replace that with a humility. We're to see ourselves at the end of the chain. At the head of the chain, there is the, the general. And it's interesting. As the general would be leading his procession, there would be a slave behind him whispering in his ear, fame is fleeting, fame is fleeting, fame is fleeting, reminding him that this moment will be gone. So where would you rather be actually? In God's hands at the end or at the hands of, well, the popular opinion? what the survey is up the front. And then arrogance, to replace our arrogance with a gentle spirit. Not to think we are privileged, not to think that we are above anybody else, that we are different, but rather to have a gentle spirit, to be loving, to, to bring about the change like Honey attracts more bees than, sorry, than Vegemite. Vegemite has its place. Yeah, so I think there's a message here for all of us. Our opinions and our, pre our preferences need to come in line with what God is telling us. To be grateful, to be humble, and to be gentle when we deal with our church leadership, when we deal with the person next to us in the pew, when we deal with our neighbours, when we deal with officialdom. I've just yet got to do it with those that send me surveys. Let me pray. Father, one reads these words and can only wonder what was going through the mind of these Corinthians that Paul would have to be so 
adamant to take the gloves off and go for the jugular. Lord, just don't allow us to get in that situation where these words would resonate to the point where we are brought down as the Corinthians were. Thank you that we can live by grace, that we have your forgiveness forever, but we have your command, Lord, to fellowship, to be together, to bond and work in a unified way. We are your body, but you are the head. And help us to see one another as fellow travellers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that you have given us leaders in our church that we are to honour, that we are to give that honour to under the Lord, to recognise that they serve him, not serving us. We are, Lord, all guilty of pride, sense of superiority and arrogance. Through your spirit, Lord, replace it with a grateful heart, a humble heart and a gentle spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.